0: Welcome to another edition of the Untoxicated Podcast. I am here with my wife Sherry. Hi Sherry. Hello. How you doing? Bye. <laughs> Sherry is excited today because it's not just Sherry and I talking. We've invited some guests. And let me say how excited I am to introduce our first guest because it's my good friend and Untoxicated Podcast founding member, back back to visit again, getting the old gang back together. Jason Polk is here. Hi, Jason. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Great, man. Great. It's great to be back. Before we introduce our other guest, I just think we should say something real quick. I want to make sure, because I've never addressed on the podcast, just you were there, and then one day you weren't anymore, Mm -hmm. and it was as though I had killed you, and you were like in the back of my car in the trunk, waiting to head off to the desert to throw your bones to the crows or whatever. Yeah, so I'm glad. That isn't what happened at all, though.
1: You didn't kill me. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm (laughs) still here. I'm glad for that. Yeah, me too.
0: So, um, and we didn't, we didn't have a falling out either. That's not even fair to say. You just, you had, you had to focus on your practice Mm -hmm. and you got a little baby girl and Mm -hmm. priorities and time. There's only 24 of those hours in the day, it turns out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so you, you let me borrow this sweet microphone and said, uh, go to town brother. I'm going somewhere else. Right. Is that a fair way to put
1: it? Exactly. No falling out. Um, we had a good, um, we have a good, we still do have a good relationship and I feel like we handled it appropriately, too. I let you know straight up, this is how I'm feeling, and that I don't have time for this. It, and you said, cool, thanks for letting me know.
0: It's like you were professional or something. <laughs> <laughs> was, we, didn't just, yeah, we didn't just keep doing it in resentment for like no, six exactly. months. That was yeah, pretty awesome. Exactly. But I haven't been professional enough to address it on a recording yet, so I'm glad to get a chance to do that um, and say that we're still buddies and that you continue to work um, on Colorado Relationship Recovery, your, your practice. And um, we'd love to, with you being on as a guest, steer people your direction if, if they think that their relationship could use some work. And God knows all of our relationships mm-hmm. could use some work. And speaking of people who are good at working on relationships, we're also joined today by your friend and um, seminar partner, which we'll talk about that in a little bit, Lana Isaac- Isaacson. Lana is a licensed clinical... Say the rest of it for me.
2: Social worker. Jump, that would
0: have been not that hard. <laughs> okay. And a certified addiction uh, counselor. Yeah. And you guys are both packed trained, correct? Yes, correct. Welcome, Lana. Thanks. Thanks to our little podcast.
2: Happy to be here.
0: All right. So thanks, guys, both of you, Jason and Lana, for joining us, and Sherry for hanging out with me again as well. Um, we want to, what we found through the podcast is whenever we talk about things related to relationship, um, our listenership, if that's a word, spikes. We we've recorded a couple episodes where Sherry and I have talked about our relationship in recovery from my alcoholism, and they've been um, we've gotten just a ton of feedback, uh, lots and lots of emails and people reaching out and and telling me and Sherry that our story is their story. Mm-hmm. So we said let's let's continue to go down this path and address relationship issues. So. Um, that's why we wanted to have a couple of experts in. Now, you guys um, are couples therapists. You deal with, um, you know, marriages primarily, I'd imagine, right? Mm-hmm. You don't yes. probably get a lot of long-term boyfriend and girlfriend, but some I would imagine. But Still mostly, do. Mostly yeah. married, yeah. Mostly um, married. But it, So is addiction always um, present in the relationships that you work with or just usually? And can you speak to the... Um, the degree to which addiction is a serious component.
1: Well, being an addiction counselor, I'm also a licensed addiction counselor, no big deal. And so I work with couples where that's naturally an issue. Oh, hey, look, you know, Jason's addiction counselor. And also on my website, too, I have a, a page dedicated to that. Um, Couples and substance abuse issues Before recovery and after recovery So yes, a good portion But not all of the couples I work with That is a central issue
0: Lana, what's your experience?
2: Yeah, I think I have a similar Experience as Jason That some of my couples Are in recovery from addiction Some are There isn't recovery yet They're still in the thick of it And really struggling And um, you know, more often than not, it's the partner who's not using, who is, they're going to make the call and say, we need to come in and get some help. And, and then my work with the couples before treatment is very different than after. Um, we can definitely dig in and do really effective work after. But I think just getting both partners support before is still really important. So I love working with couples in recovery from addiction um, at all different you know stages of that, um, and I also work with couples who that might not be an issue at all on their radar. It, they might be coming in because they're uh, they have a new baby, they're uh, struggling with different parenting styles, they're in some cases infidelity affairs, in law issues. The f- top five issues that I always believe that couples come in, it's sex, mess, kids, work, or money, and then if we want to add to that, it's addiction, um, and maybe in-laws, religion, you know, things like that, but, hmm. but the top five are what usually bring people in, and once in a while, it might be intimacy as well, intimacy in terms of emotional intimacy, that couples just feel disconnected, maybe, you know, they're, they're just so focused on their kids, or, or even in recovery, which I know we might touch on a little bit today. What that looks like when somebody's working a really strong program, they might not have also invested as much time into their relationship, and so I get I get have a lot of variety, and I really I love all of it.
0: When you're when you're dealing with people in recovery, and I I, I appreciate the point that you made that I can't imagine how hard it must be to deal with couples when um, before recovery when one of them is in active addiction because. You can be in the room and know what's going on, and the spouse can be in the room and know what's going on, and you've got one person still in denial who's not willing to... I mean, that's that's a whole, that's a whole other ball of wax. But when you do get people that are in recovery, um, one of the things that Sherry and I learned the hard way, and we learned this through multiple relapses on my part, is the fact that when, when you've had alcoholism, in, in my case, and then you quit drinking... That doesn't actually fix anything, and for a long time, I thought it did. I would say to Sherry when she'd get frustrated about, you know, just a normal thing, like I uh, I didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher, or I didn't, um, I wasn't somewhere where I had agreed to be at the specific time I had agreed to be there, a normal kind of relationship thing, and she would get frustrated. I'd say, what are you angry about? I quit drinking for you. <laughs> like, isn't that enough? <laughs> um, you guys are both kind of nodding and laughing. Is, is, that a, is that a thing where people think they got the alcohol out of the way, so everything's taken care of? Is that a big thing you have to address? Yeah.
2: You want to
1: answer Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I'll start it off. I mean, even if you're sober. That was a pause for that. Um, so even <laughs> if you're sober, you still have to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you're sober is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Maybe that's not a good way to put it. But you still have to show up in the relationship. And just to echo what you said, Matt, it's a very common issue. I've had a good friend of mine. His wife was actively drinking. He got sober. And for the longest time, he thought his problems would be solved if she stopped drinking as well. Mm -hmm. However, now it's like, oh, wow, now we have to do the work. Now we really have to work at having a good relationship. And so it's not a, a, a magic wand. Is that like an aha
0: moment when when the spouses go, oh, huh, this isn't going to be easy now that the alcohol is gone? Like, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I would agree that it... it do, I think it is a surprise to some of these couples uh, when they have to do some couple work because they... I think also it's not just um, the couples that – I think where the issue is is that the treatment centers and even in some cases 12-step programs aren't encouraging couples' work. There are a handful of couple programs, like for couples in recovery on the East and West Coast, that's part of treatment. But what I find across the board is that treatment offers incredible um, individual support and group support – and so you build this fellowship of other people in recovery, you get a great sponsor or mentor, you might, they might have a family program, and probably more than that, there is a family program, but there's very few resources for couples. So there's one program in Boulder called Recovering Couples Anonymous, and that's a 12-step support group. But outside of that, there's very little. And that's why Jason and I created our, our workshop that we're doing in November. And I know we'll talk about that later. But um, it can feel daunting to couples or overwhelming if at first they feel like just to get sober is enough work, and now we're adding on to that and saying, and now you need to do some couples work. But I also feel like it's incredibly healing, and the research shows that it strengthens your individual recovery by having these really healthy, secure, attached relationships. You don't have to do this alone. And it also, um, by having, so by having a healthy relationship, that will strengthen your recovery and obviously healthy recovery will strengthen your relationship, but you have to do the relationship work. Like you're saying, it's not yeah, a, an automatic it, fix.
0: It makes perfect sense to me as the one that had the addiction problem as an alcoholic. If I wanted to hang out with my friends because I needed that, I needed some kind of bond or interaction. That was easy. Go to the bar, go to the house party or whatever. Um, And I would find that connection with other people. But then in sobriety, when I was cutting that part of my life out, and there, let's face it, in our society, there is a a void of places where a 45-year-old man can go for interaction with other people where there isn't alcohol, because alcohol is everywhere. Mm -hmm. That relationship with my wife became more important kind of mm. under the radar to me. I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that, but um, it was more than just co-parenting and an in- intimacy piece. It was also we got to be buddies now, too, because uh, not to say that I, I don't want to you know over overplay this and make it sound like all my friends ran away from me when I quit drinking, but the fact is, if you're not going to go to the bar and hang out, then that's where all the dudes are hanging out. So right. you're friendship becomes more important mm-hmm. so that makes a lot of sense so so when when you talk about um going off and doing the work that maybe the person with the alcohol problem goes to aa and the mm-hmm. and the spouse goes to al-anon and they're both working 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 but they're not working together exactly and there are a few resources for that but that's one right. of
1: the the voids you guys are mm-hmm. going to fill and okay. let me share a successful couple of that has been in my practice they're in recovery and the male partner goes to aa however they're doing something a little bit different they're actually sharing their work together Mm -hmm. he will share his big book big book work with her and she's actually reading that very book that you have lana by beverly Uh. burke
2: loving someone in recovery
1: yeah and she's doing some of the mindfulness exercises and they're actually sharing it together Mm -hmm. and so this issue can actually increase their bond also i'm not trying to open up a big bag of worms here but it helps with trust too because she knows he's working in recovery And so there's actually more money in the the trust bank, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And so there's less where she's like, oh, hey, what is he doing today? Mm -hmm. And so it's actually, you know, on on two fronts, intimacy and a way to build trust as well. Do you find as a result of addiction or or any of the other, I mean,
0: you mentioned the top five and then the Mm -hmm. next five reasons that people come to see you. I mean, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I'm curious because... We've heard so many stories. I see so many stories working in the recovery field all the time of relationships that hang on and survive during the active addiction phase, but then the recovery is just too much for them. The, the dynamics change. We would think, right, that they change for the better, but, mm-hmm. but they change in a way that's difficult. Do, I mean, there must be cases where it's just too much for the relationship to survive. Is that fair for me to say or assume?
2: I've definitely, you know, I've I've had experiences with some of my clients when I think about my time and when I worked in the treatment field before I did couples work and I would have some individual clients who did amazing recovery work and Uh treatment and then their spouse divorced them shortly afterward. And I would agree that sometimes there is too much hurt that has been built up and that the partner, the non-using partner, has just had some space when their loved one is in treatment to really think about what did they need for themselves for once and realize that it's just they can't keep doing this. And it does seem ironic that after the partner finally gets into recovery, that their loved one would divorce them or end their relationship. And in some cases, it's just people finding... They feel like strangers when their loved one gets into recovery. They're like, who are you? You used to be a lot of fun. You were really spontaneous. You had a great sense of humor. I don't know who you are now. And it is hard. And other times people find their voice. Um, There's an old... This is a couple that predates maybe many of your listeners. But a famous couple in recovery, Billy and Sybil Carter... So Jimmy Carter's brother, Billy, he and his wife, this was late 70s, at a time when the spouse was also expected to go into recovery um, treatment. So his wife dropped him off for treatment. They had five kids. And before she left, the doctor said to her, if you don't go into treatment as well, then his recovery won't stick. You're as sick as he is. And of course she was super offended and said, I have five kids to take care of. Mm-hmm. He's the sick one, mm-hmm. fix him, I'm of here. So she did leave, but then she came back with a bag and she went into treatment and it was really intense. It was for, you know, codependence. And at that time, I think the treatment model across the board was pretty um, direct and confrontative, but she grew tremendously. And when she came back home, she had found her voice and Billy didn't like that so much. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so it was really hard for them to adjust at first. But at you know, after they had been through some adjustment, they both felt that they had a stronger relationship, a more loving, a more honest um, relationship than they had ever had before. That's so super there are these success stories as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, I, that I've seen and I've heard. And, well, um, and finding
3: her own voice and having that recovery, I think, because you are very codependent. You don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to make waves. And then you also probably just instinctively and in, with five kids in survival mode, you just don't even listen to your voice anymore. So mm-hmm. I think like, if you are the spouse and you're not the one addicted, you definitely have your own Need to go through recovery and to be able to be assertive but be gentle and learn how to manage your own feelings.
0: I well, think. Sherry, I'm curious what so a lot changed when I stopped drinking as far as the way I behaved, right? Yeah, what like can you name one or two characteristics that were really difficult? I know you've said recently that I don't. I'm too serious, and I'm too in my own head, and I don't just have fun enough. But early on, I mean, I know I moped around like like a like, you know cat whose tail got run over for a long time. Was what, what what did you see as far as changes in me that were? I mean, obviously the not drinking that's a good one, but there right. had to be some that were difficult too.
3: Well, and and through when we got through the uh, you know realization that. Alcohol, your drinking didn't fix everything, and I remember saying to you, "We have this big pile of stuff," and you're like, "No, no, no, it's just drinking." And I was like, "We have this big pile of stuff, we really do." So once we got like through that, and you understood that there were other things, um, like sometimes in the beginning, like your moodiness, you were kind of moody, and so I was afraid to like talk to you about issues that might be going on that would, because I just didn't know how you would react. Because you had always, you know, it's not like you were crazy all the time, you know, and angry and throwing things around. But some when you were actively drinking, you didn't know how you were going to respond to something. It could be something very simple. Um, and you just totally overreacted. Um, so that, I feel like, was hard to kind of get used to. And I know that there are some times where I still present hesitation and like, bringing up a subject to you now because i've just had been like kind of trained to be that way yeah so like the but the moodiness in the beginning um was kind of a, a, a challenge
0: because um, i was emotionally as mature as about a 15 year old so yeah <laughs> well it's true right yeah because but I,
3: I, I mean also just like i think your body going through like just the healing process and and what you're um you know, your blog is talked about and shout sobriety. Um, I also think like it was kind of, it was it's kind of related to moodiness. It was also kind of hard to get you to try to go and be more relaxed and have fun. Cause you were so used to being anxious and anxiety driven when you were drinking. And I think that kind of was, it was kind of a whole change for the family, like where we could just be goofy. Like this last vacation that we took, we finally were able to take a vacation just By ourselves, and I don't think we've ever done that with the family. By
0: ourselves, meaning no extended family. No extended family, no grandparents,
3: just the six of Mm -hmm. us. And we realized how fortunate we were that our kids were so relaxed about being a family. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we had like some camping for a week. That's kind of a challenge. Um, But I feel like you were very even keeled, even when we had tons of ants all over our campsite and our... (laughs) daughter was kind of freaking out and i was freaking out and you were freaking out because we just were like ants red ants at that um biting ants so i feel like just the getting you to relax um was kind of a challenge in the beginning and and i can see now it was not because you kind of kept everybody calm and you kept yourself calm and making jokes about it and yeah those were the two biggest i think your moodiness and anxiousness and overreactions.
0: Excellent.
1: So it seems that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sherry. In a way, you are learning to trust that Matt can have a appropriate, healthy response. I don't know. If healthy yeah, response. I. Okay. You know, very clinical, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I me. Mean, <laughs> Sorry. No. Very good. <laughs> very good, but yeah, like
0: you definitely
3: say what I'm, you know, thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I can you know, come to you with an issue and it's normal reaction because before it would either be maybe no reaction at all and you didn't care or it'd be an overreaction and overthinking. Now, yes, I feel you still worry about the world and it's outlook on alcohol. And that's why you're, you're doing this to hope change some mindsets.
0: But yeah. Speaking of worrying about the world, that's a great segue, Sherry. You should do this professionally. (laughs) Speaking of worrying about the world, one of the questions that I get a lot from people that are in early sobriety is the way the way that they view uh, relapse or a slip, as, as it might be called, as especially for someone that's big into counting, counting days. Then they and they get to six months or something, and then they relapse and and they get all stressed about having to go back to day one. I'm not personally a big proponent of counting, but I always think about the relapse from that person's individual standpoint. What about from a couple's standpoint? You have to have people that you're working with in counseling that come to you and they've had a relapse. Is that a hugely traumatic experience? How do you help them over that when that happens, a relapse in relationship
1: and recovery? That's a lot of R's. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Well, I would say it starts out by it depends I know that's kind of a weak answer. But it depends on where they are at in the recovery. It depends if the person was honest shortly after. It depends on if the person was trying to cover it up. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It just you know, it, it depends like was it a, a mature response or not? How long did it go on for? And then he or she lie about it. So, I know that doesn't answer your question, per se, because, you know, one train of thought of looking at it, too, is that a relapse can be an opportunity to learn. Right. Ideally, in the couple sense, okay, let's let's talk about this as a couple, let's learn from it. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that spot, then, from my perspective, you guys are in a good place. Yeah. So, I guess it depends.
0: I mean, that's the advice that I give to mm-hmm. people, that your recovery is a journey, I hate that word, but it is, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be forward motion and a little bit of backward motion on your journey. And if you just treat that as a learning experience. Of course, I defend the relapse as being okay because I did it so many times. I don't Mm -hmm. want someone to tell me that it makes you the the scourge of the
1: earth. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but I would say for you, like in your situation, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, yours maybe not would have been a relapse. It was more of this continued using. I don't know, but correct me if you, if you disagree on that.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I would go six months sober and then I'd right. decide yeah. I'm going to start drinking again because I got a new plan and it's going to work this time. Mm-hmm. So, alcohol, mm-hmm. you
3: know, removal of alcohol didn't solve all problems, so that must that's not right. be the problem.
0: That's exactly. Well, and that's, I think that's a really good <laughs> message for people that listen to this to hear. Because I believed that alcohol solved all the problems, I didn't just believe it solved all the problems in the relationship. I thought it would clear up my depression and make me lose weight and make me more alert. And when just life didn't turn into unicorns and rainbows, I was like, well, I'm going to drink again then, I guess, because not everything is solved. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Can can I
1: ask you a question real quick? Please do. I want to hear your response. And please feel free to edit this out. Okay. Um, Sherry, if you don't mind me asking, if Matt had a little bit of sobriety and you saw him drink again, how was that for you? And let me know if this is not an appropriate yeah. question. No,
3: I mean, I think we talked about this in okay. one of our other okay. podcasts together. Um, I had told Matt many times that he loved alcohol more than he loved me, uh... and so that was a big hurdle to get over. So then I would just be like, okay, so you chose the one you love the most. Again, you love that more than the kids and, and mm. me. You know, so I definitely felt like whenever I would see him drink again, um, that that's exactly what I thought was mm-hmm. the love affair he had with it. That's mm-hmm. why I think that the title of that one book you liked was The Love Affair.
0: Drinking Love Story. Yes. Caroline Nam, the yes. best memoir out there. So,
3: yeah. yeah, so I felt like that. And then, um, so then when he would try to approach me again about going through being sober again and, and like his new plan... I was just like, I was dealing with the plan you had, and it's the devil I know, and so why are we changing all this again? Because now I just have to reconfigure how I'm going to deal with certain situations and your new plan, and how is that going to work and last. Mm -hmm. So,
2: I'm going to share something. That's okay. Sure. Um, This is from a book called I Love You, But I Don't Trust You by Mara Kirshenbaum. And what she says is huge betrayals can destroy relationships. And it is also hard to heal from small, repeated betrayals. Because the small, repeated betrayals make you feel like you can't count on anything and that trust is impossible. And so I have tremendous empathy for the partner who is continually feeling like, as you were just saying, Sherry, that they're... Loved one, their spouse keeps betraying them for alcohol or whatever their addiction is. You know, in my case, I went through a workaholic phase and it was I kept choosing work over my husband until I realized he was really serious when he was saying, like, you know, our, I basically he said, you know, you keep choosing work over me and Our marriage might not be there anymore Mm. and so I just knew he was serious at a certain point and that I couldn't keep doing that but um, so and yet I also think as humans whenever we're trying to make growth we're going to make mistakes we're not perfect I don't think anybody on a diet you know that anybody would totally shame someone on a diet if they had a slip but it seems like with alcohol and drugs that people have such unrealistic and harsh expectations of, their, of people around them. And yet the, the addiction is so unbelievably powerful, and if you haven't gone through it, it's hard to have that empathy. So I have empathy for both partners in my office, and I really try to honor that, um, the efforts that the person in recovery from addiction is trying to make and also have them really turn toward their partner and be compassionate um, if their partner feels like they were betrayed again.
0: So you're kind of the, the empathy bridge, if you will, because mm. they're both feeling their own pain, and they probably don't have any energy left for feeling each other's pain, yeah. and you do that for both mm-hmm. of them, and I bet, that, okay. I bet that's powerful for them to see, well, this woman we don't even know seems to care about me, and she seems to care about you too, so yeah. maybe we can put this all together. That's interesting. Thanks. So one more question, Okay. and then I want to hear about your seminar. But the last question is, this is the free therapy for Matt and Sherry time. <laughs> this, is, this is the underlying reason okay. we really invited you to talk about, to come over and be a part of the podcast. But the, the topic is being stuck in resentment. Mm-hmm. Sherry and I have dealt with everything that happened during the active stage of my addiction. We've gone over and over unfortunate situations my terrible behavior her terrible reaction we've apologized to each other we've forgiven each other we've done it multiple times but still when everyday normal frustration or or normal couples arguments comes up between us sometimes it's easy and i'm not trying to drop you in the grease here sherry but it's easy for sherry to dive back into that place of resentment from something that happened 12 years ago and bring it up and I'll be blindsided and sit there and be like, "Oh my God, do we really have to talk about this again?" Um, what do? You, what's a piece of advice that you guys give when couples are in that situation in when they come to see you for therapy? Because that cannot be uncommon, is it?
2: No. Yeah, I don't think it's uncommon. And I, uh, gosh, to think of one piece of advice. I guess just you can give us a bunch of advice if you want (laughs) I think in the moment isn't that example of sherry's upset and she's triggered back to the past and she's starting to bring up something that was hurtful that you're you're feeling blindsided like wait I thought we already talked through this and healed from this and I would say the first thing is to be become more and more of an expert on how to calm comfort and soothe sherry and that doesn't mean that she gets to just vent for an hour if that's what calms her down she that's not helpful for her or for you or for your relationship so maybe for sherry it's you getting close to her like physically close giving her a hug looking in her eyes telling her i love you i'm so sorry that you know you're still hurting over this Um, it might be giving her space everybody's different and what calms them and helps them calm their nervous system and then I think for both of you just you know um, to also on a daily basis to do some preventative work so I in this book Loving Someone in Recovery by Beverly Berg she really encourages couples to do couple meditation every day it calms your, both of your nervous systems. It helps you bond and feel like you're partners again. Um, she, uh, There's a couple meditation that we'll have couples do in our workshop called uh, Have Each Other's Backs Partner Meditation, where you're sitting back-to-back back and breathing together and just really feeling. Physically, you've got my back. Emotionally, I've got your back. And... Um, I'm trying to think other things. I would think also just figuring out with your partner what works, not just a calm, comfort, and soothe, but also it might be throwing in humor. You know, it's figuring out how you can break out of that cycle of, you know, you're triggered, you're upset, and then your mind goes right back to the past, and you're trying to, like, you're rehashing that old dynamic that was really destructive and figuring out what can we do differently. And so maybe it is surprising your partner, you know, um, I, I don't know how what that would look like. but So I'm,
0: I'm guessing, yeah. this is great advice. It really is. Okay. The preventative is, I think, probably really important. We try to do preventative, but maybe I like some of your ideas. Okay. But I'm guessing that the way I handle it right now isn't the best when I go, Oh my God, you're not seriously <laughs> going to talk about that again. Right, that doesn't seem to work. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful irritated. that you got some different
2: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend getting defensive. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I would always recommend if you can, you know, offer a little bit of empathy um, and then you can also set a limit. It's not that different. I have to say couples um, relationships in some ways of parenting with love and logic, there's the empathy first and then setting a limit, or saying, I really want to hear you, I can see how upset you are, but maybe right now is not the time. If you, you know, have, you're exhausted, you have to get to bed, you have to get out the door to get to work, or whatever's going on. Um, But making time to listen to your partner, if, you know, um, there's something called like grief bursts, and so when people have losses, that that loss can get triggered, and they need to talk about it again, and it doesn't mean that you're not a solid couple it's just that that hurt just it still will keep it still will come up at times and but it should take you a shorter amount of time to work through it and I think it's just figuring out with your partner how can I calm comfort and soothe you you know in these moments um and and also limit um I'd say limit the venting so it's you know you really want to be able to keep moving forward
0: Mm -hmm. there's some stuff there we can work with huh yeah what do you think Humor. Good ideas? Humor. 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 <laughs> awesome. I know I'm going to have to work on one with one of these um, for getting out of the resentment I'm stuck in for Jason ditching me on this podcast. Yeah. You know? oh, for sure. I introduce it like everything's yeah. fine, but really, I'm burning inside yeah. Jason. Yeah.
1: Well, here, this is the, this is the problem, uh, Matt. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like you haven't really talked about it. Wow. You, it you are here. good.
0: You are good at receiving <laughs> that feedback. It's like you're a professional.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to comment on... What Lana said, spot on. And I want to add a little bit something for you. And that's so quickly because it seems, and this is some of of Terry Reel's work, when I have been trained by him. So it seems when she brings that up again, you go into what we would call a shame response. Oh my God, this stinks so bad. And you don't want to feel that, so you immediately go up to grandiosity, which is, I can't believe you're not over this. (laughs) So in a way where you can take that in, take a breath, because she had a lot of poopy memories. Yeah. This. And so to own that, to say, I'm sorry, um, what can I do to help? Do you need some space? Let me finish with the dishes. Whatever it is, to put yourself up and hold yourself in warm regard, I'm still a good person, Ooh. although I have screwed up time and time again. And if you can get to there, then that's the, the sweet spot, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I like I like that grandiosity term i really like the shame response because you're right it, it is like oh i gotta because then it kind of up your bit of shame again yeah right? that's mm. yeah you guys are good yeah well, like, we're definitely we working pro- on
3: like realizing the resentment like yeah. that's a piece that was introduced like mm. not too long ago that i'm working on and getting over that yeah it's terrible so bad, with a really good memory though
0: yeah you do have mm. a very good memory mm. Yeah. Hopefully that will come in handy sometime. <laughs>
1: no, this yes. is...
3: Like if you want to know the socks you wore on our wedding day, I will yeah. tell you what they were. <laughs>
1: but but that also, be important today. But then just to honor it real quick, if our memories are triggered by our emotional states too, so if something comes up, gosh, you know, she's you know, upset with you again, sometimes the, that emotional state, then we're accessing all like the bad memories too. Yeah. That's, that's exactly know. how I feel.
3: That's exactly how I feel. That's a good, you know, like it just... It just is like floodwaters just mm-hmm. coming in every single infraction yeah, yeah. when I get worked up,
0: Yeah. Well, you guys are good. It's like you're professionals. Yeah. Hey, Thanks. speaking <laughs> of professionals, <laughs> tell us about your seminar. I'm super excited about sure. this.
2: All right. So Have Each Other's Backs Again is an all-day workshop for couples in recovery, not just from addiction, whatever that addiction looks like for you. It could be to drugs and alcohol, gambling, um, intimacy disorders, anything that feels like... Workaholics. Yeah, workaholics, for sure, food. Um, It also is for anyone who has struggled with mental health issues or trauma, anything that has really gotten in the way or become a barrier in your relationship. Or perhaps you grew up in a family that... Your parents just weren't the healthiest model for marriage, which is most, a lot of people, I want to say, you know, they did the best that they could with what they knew, but they didn't have this opportunity to come in for an all day workshop. And so Jason and I are really excited to offer this to couples. It's in, it's a group workshop, but it's also private. We get access to the whole therapy center since it's on a Sunday. And so there's a lot of private breakout work you get to do with your partner and we'll walk around and support you in those exercises and we're both really creative and fun and so it's a combination of very practical and evidence-based information and relationship skills but also fun hands-on exercises you'll get to do and take with you and then You also get to build community with other couples who also are really um, investing in their relationship as well, that they realize how important this is. And um, I guess the last thing I just wanna share is that I believe that the best gift that you can pass down if you are a parent or an aunt uncle to the next generation is not just recovery, but it's also being a model for a healthy relationship, a healthy, loving, passionate relationship. Our kids are learning everything from us about relationships. So I hope you'll, I hope you will come. It's okay. on November 10th.
0: And it's here in Denver, right? Where, yeah. where
2: In Wheat Ridge. Yeah, it's Denver Family Therapy Center.
0: And so how can people get more information? We'll, we'll link to it too, but why Great. don't you mention how they can.
2: Sure. Um, couples can register on my website, LanaIsaacson.com or on Jason's website, which is ColoradoRelationshipRecovery.com.
0: And we'll be sure on the podcast, Intoxicated Unto- podcast website, we'll have a link to it as well and encourage everyone to come. Great. Thank you guys for coming out thank today. You. Seriously, yeah, super, you. super appreciate it. It's been really helpful. Yeah. Thanks, Matt
2: and Sherry. Yeah,
3: thank, thank you. Guys.
0: All right. For the Intoxicated podcast, for my wife and podcast partner, Sherry Salis. this is Matt Salus. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Talk to you next time. <laughs>